Thank you once again for the opportunity to uh, speak here. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. I thought, should I go with the Christmas message? And I thought, nah. I've been working my way through Luke uh, steadily and my aim is hopefully to get to the Passion Week around about Easter time. So that's, that's the plan. So we'll be looking at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. It's a story that is possibly quite familiar to you. And it's the story of a blind man, a beggar. Luke chapter 18 And we'll be looking at verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Before we go any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you might open our hearts and minds. Instruct us, we pray, from your precious word. Make it live to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And it came to pass that as as he was come nigh unto Jerusalem, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. Okay. Came nigh unto Jerusalem. Sorry, to Jericho. Came, Came nigh unto Jericho. If you look at the parallel passage in Matthew, it says, as he went out, from Jericho. Now, which was it? Was he coming into Jericho or was he going out from Jericho? And does it matter? I put it to you that it does matter because the Bible is either accurate or it's not. It's either true or it's not. The Bible cannot be partly true. If it claims to be the word of God, it must be completely true. It's a bit like that, uh, that story in The Princess Bride. No, he's not dead. He's only mostly dead. The Bible cannot be mostly true. It must be all true. Or in fact, it is false. You can't have partial truth. It just doesn't work that way. <clears throat> If I am going to trust my immortal soul to a book, that book had better be true. I can't risk that the bit that I'm trusting for my salvation is one of the bits that's not right. It's got to be all true. So we've got a problem here. Was he going out from Jericho or was he coming in to Jericho? Well, in fact, Jericho's an old, old city. It's one of the oldest cities in the world. And it has been pretty much continuously occupied for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And Herod the king at the time had ordered that a new administrative and business centre be set up. In fact, he was doing a bit of urban renewal, if you put it like that, at Jericho. 
And he had ordered a new city centre be built a couple of miles away from the original city. Now, eventually the city would grow and absorb this area and just become one. But at this stage, there was, in fact, old Jericho and new Jericho. And the best spot for a beggar to be, because you think about it, a beggar depends on passing trade, was on the road between the old city and the new city. That's where he was. And Jesus was, in fact, leaving Jericho and going to Jericho. He was leaving the old city and going to the new city, or vice versa. But as Luke puts it, he was nigh, he was near Jericho because he wasn't in either one. He was coming from one and going to the other, so he was near Jericho. So the Bible is, in fact, not just true, it is precisely true. It is pointedly true. It is accurate in everything we need to know about it, and it is reliable for us to trust. So, and it came to pass that as he came nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. A certain blind man. Now we know something about this guy. We know his name. In Mark chapter 10, we're told that his name was Bartimaeus. Doesn't mean a lot, because that just means the son of Timaeus. Okay. But have you ever asked, what does Timaeus mean? Now, we might think it's related to the name Timothy, but it's not. Timothy is a Greek name. This is a Chaldean or a Hebrew name, different name. Timaeus means defiled, polluted, unclean. How's that for a name? But it sort of suited a blind beggar. He was cut off, he was isolated, and he was the son of the unclean. Some have even suggested, for it's recorded also in Matthew, that there were two men begging here, that they were in fact father and son. Names mean things. Names are important. Names tell you things. And this means... He was a blind, polluted, unclean person. What a picture of humanity. The son of pollution and blind and ignorant. That is the picture of humanity as it comes before the Lord Jesus Christ. Blind and polluted. And he sat by the wayside. How many, how many miracles do you think Jesus did that are recorded in Scripture? You ever, ever stop to count them up? You'll find there's around about 37 recorded. 37, it's not many. Now, John records, of course, that he did lots and lots of miracles that aren't written down. 
But we know here that there are only 37 recorded. What's interesting is that of the specific healing ministries, miracles, when it's recorded that he specifically healed somebody, one quarter of them have to do with blindness. That's a lot. That is a lot. That means 25% of the time that we're recorded that Jesus healed a particular person, it had to do with blindness. Was this maybe because there were a lot of blind people around? It's possible. Or maybe he was trying to point out something else to us as well. I wonder why this man was blind. Why are people blind? Physically, why are people blind? Well, some are blind because of injury. But that's not very common. It's actually fairly rare. Because people will lose one eye that way, but it's very rare for a person to be completely blind from, from injury. Some, it's more to do with age. You remember the story of Eli, the priest, how he sat outside the tabernacle and it said his eyes were dim by reason of age. That would be almost certainly cataracts. It's a problem even today with, with elderly people. So, yeah, there's that sort of blindness. But probably the most common cause of blindness was infections. Diseases like trachoma, very common in the, in the Middle East even now. But there's also a, another problem that causes blindness. And these are prenatal infections. Some of you may have heard of the, the lady Helen Keller, right? German measles, rubella. It caused her blindness. Some of you may have read the stories or seen the, the shows, The Little House on the Prairie. Laura Ingalls, blind, scarlet fever. Yeah. Infections, particularly prenatal infections, very, very common cause of blindness in years gone by. It used to be, you know, that the, the midwives would carry a little bottle of all things of dilute, silver nitrate and they would put the drops in the eyes of newborn babies that's a bit of a harsh thing but it was to clear out infections which could so easily rob these little babies of their life of, of their sight and these were these were always a problem and and it's a a big leap forward in terms of vaccination and health today that we do not have the number of blind people that was so prevalent in years gone by. So here he was, blind. There are lots of ways to go blind, especially in first century Palestine. But blindness, especially in scripture, is a picture of a spiritual condition. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verse 4 says that the God of this world hath blinded the eyes 
of the world, lest it should hear the gospel and be saved. Blinded the eyes of people. It's interesting that it, it doesn't use the expression that he's deaf in their ears. No, no, no. It says they're blind. People in Scripture who, who are not saved and cannot understand spiritual things are described as being blind. Wonder why? Why aren't they described as being deaf? Why are they described as being blind? Consider this. Let's go right back to the very start of things. Back to the book of Genesis. Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now that's day one. Okay? I want you to jump across to verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament from the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule the night. He made the stars also. Verse 19. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Hang on a minute. If God made the sun day four, where did the light come from in day one? <coughs> you ever stop to wonder about that? Now, there had to be light for there to be day and night, but the sun wasn't created until four days later. It's one of those things where you, if you think about it, you go, oh, hang on a minute. Here's a bit of a problem. But not really. For in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, it speaks of God who says, who only hath immortality and dwelleth in light which no man can approach to. The light that came in Genesis 1 was the light of God's own presence. What's the problem with a blind person? They can't see the light. And the very first thing, the very first evidence of God's existence was that he created light and that a person who is blind is cut off from the very first sign of God's existence. The very first thing that God says, look, here I am, he created light. And blindness cuts a person off from that. That is why we say that, a, that the Bible says that a person who is blind, or rather a person who is spiritually ignorant and spiritually cannot understand things is blind because they are not seeing the proof of God's existence. I mean, how can you say with the psalmist, 
You know, when I behold the, the heavens, the works of thy fingers, and the stars and the moon which thou hast ordained, how can you say that if you're blind? You can't. So the very evidence of God which we find in creation is cut off from those who are blind. And that is why God describes those who are spiritually unaware and spiritually ignorant as being blind. So it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. He heard the multitude and he said to them, you know, what's up? Well, he said it in Arabic or you know, Hebrew, but that's pretty much what he said. What's this? What's happening? And they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth passes by. Somebody told this man about Jesus. At some stage, someone had explained to him who Jesus was. How do you describe Jesus to a blind man? It does no good to say, oh, you know, Jesus, Nazareth, tall guy, beard, robe. It makes no sense to a blind man, does it? So how do you describe Jesus to a blind man? First century Palestine. Well, you describe him by what he does. Jesus of Nazareth? Prophet. That guy. You know the one? 5,000 people, loaves, fishes? It's that guy. You remember those 10 lepers who used to go in a group? You know, nine Jews, one Samaritan? He healed them. It's that guy. You remember the fellow who used to get carried around by his four mates in a blanket and now he's walking around? It's Jesus. It's that guy. It's the guy who's been doing these miracles. That's how you describe Jesus to a blind man. That's how someone described this, per this man. It is said it's Jesus the of Nazareth and he's the one who does miracles. He's the one who heals people. He's the one who cures people's problems. How do you describe Jesus to a lost, blind, sinful world? How do we explain Jesus to a world that's blind by telling him he's the one who comes into people's lives and does miracles. That's who he is. He's the one who makes the unclean clean. He's the one who makes the lost saved. He's the one who makes the impure pure. He's the one who can reach down and change people's lives. That's how you describe Jesus to a lost, 
blind world. He's the one who does miracles. And so he called out, verse 38, and he cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now that's an interesting thing. For he uses two terms here. He, said, he cried out saying, Jesus, that's a man. That's a name of a man. And then he calls out, thou son of David. That's the name of the Messiah. He, by calling out these two names, he is saying, you are a man and you are the son of God. He had the right name. He had the right title. And then he said, have mercy on me. He had the right request. He said, the man God, the one who came down from heaven, the hope of Israel, have mercy upon me. And then something very interesting happens. It says in verse 39, And they that went before rebuked him. Who are these people? They that went before. I mean, who could be so cruel as to rebuke a blind man seeking help? Who could be so heartless <coughs> as to say to a blind man, Ah, oh, keep quiet, don't, don't disturb, don't disturb Jesus. Look back, Luke chapter 10. Look back, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. Who were those ones who went before? They were the disciples. They were the people who were sent by Jesus to go and advance into every place he would come and let people know that Jesus of Nazareth was coming into your city, coming into your village. They had no doubt come into Jericho and let people know that Jesus of Nazareth is coming here. Great. Good. And then when someone calls out to him, they say, shoot, shoot, yeah, yeah, be quiet, be quiet. Just, just hold your peace. They'd missed the point. And had become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. How sad is it to realise that churchianity is getting between people and Christianity? 
How sad is it that those who should have been bringing people to Christ are now starting to hinder them. And as we look out on this world today, coming up to Christmas, how much of the problem of getting people to understand the message of Christ is caused by churches when they should have been doing the job? It's a sad thing, but those who came before, those which went before, are delaying and preventing people reaching Christ. The great thing about this guy is he didn't care. He cried out, The more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 40. And Jesus stood. He stopped. And just remember, we talked about this before. What was Jesus doing here? This was his last trip. He was heading to Jerusalem to be crucified. The culmination of the ages was about to happen. The future of the human race depended on the next few weeks. And Jesus stopped. He stopped what he was doing and commanded him to be brought unto him. Jesus is never too busy. Never, ever too busy. And he commanded him to come unto him. And then interestingly, he asked him, Verse 41 saying, what wilt thou I shall do unto thee? What a dumb question. What do you think he wants? But no, there's a point to this. Jesus wants to hear you say it. Now I've said this before. And there's a whole bunch of young ladies in our congregation who are about to learn this. When you're dealing with little kids, you want to make them say it. When you're dealing with children and they, and they need something, you want them to come up and say it. Don't just stand there going, ah, 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 ah. No, 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 no. You want them to say, I, you know, please, mummy, I want A. Don't you? Right? That's the way a parent works. That's the way God works. God wants to hear you say it. And so he says to him, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The other thing is, Jesus is a gentleman. You ever thought about that? A gentleman does not go where he's not requested and does not give what he is not asked to. There is a politeness here. 
where Jesus is saying, what do you want? The ma- you know, the man could have asked for some money. He said, I'm poor, I'm blind, I've got no money. I have no doubt that Jesus would have commanded to give him some. Jesus wants you to ask and say, what do I want? And he's saying to you, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What do you want me to do? Say it. And it's interesting, the reply he gives. First of all, he says, Lord. Again, he acknowledges who Jesus is. He says, that I might receive my sight. Now, look, this is, uh, I'm going to digress just for a second here, but this is a prayer of mine. And I'll, there are guys here who spend more time in this congregation studying the Bible than I do. But they will agree with me. There will be times when you're sitting there and you're looking at your Bible and it is just words on a page. And you look up into heaven and it seems like the heavens are as brass and you're getting nowhere. And you call out, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And then you look. And there it is. Open and plain and clear and easy to understand. And I would say to you, those who are looking to understand scripture, those who are looking to know what the word of God is trying to tell them, It does not hurt and it is quite appropriate to say, Lord, that I might receive my sight and I might see what it is that you have here for me. So I I feel a real affinity with Bartimaeus here. Lord, that I might receive my sight. And I might know and understand and see the things that you have written here for me. And Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Then he said, thy faith hath saved thee. Now it's interesting, he divides the two. He says, The sight is a gift from God. What's getting you into heaven is your faith. What's getting you a a home for all eternity is your faith. Whether you were blind or not, there was faith to save here. Which came first? His salvation or his sight? I put it to you that his salvation came first, for he called out, Lord, thou son of David. He recognised who Jesus was, that this was the Messiah, that this was the anointed son of God, that this was the one come to save mankind. And as a bonus, he got to see again. 
And I guarantee that you, when you get the chance to chat with Bartimaeus in heaven, for surely you will, ask him which was more important, the sight or the salvation. Ask which one means the most to him, that he could see or that he was with his Lord forever in heaven. I think you'll know which one he'll, he'll, he'll say was the most important. We focus so often on the physical. We focus so often on the things that were around us, but we don't, and we miss the point that it's the faith that saves. And immediately he received his sight. Now, God does not muck around. God's going to do something. He does it straight away. When he decides it's time, it's time. Immediately, he received his sight and he followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise unto God. He believed, he saw, he followed. Now, that's not a bad pattern for a Christian, for anybody to follow, for anybody to say, well, what am I supposed to do? Simple. You believe, you see, and you follow. That's what God calls everybody to do, to believe, to have faith, to receive the sight, to understand spiritual things that God will give you, and then to follow his son. Believe. Receive and follow. Well, that's not that tough. And the result, all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Jesus stood, called this man. Says, what do you and said to him, What do you want? And the Lord Jesus stands before you today, saying, What do you want? What do you want? Will you say, Oh, I want a God that'll give me some some money and, and happiness and, and prosperity and I want a God that'll solve my problems and, and I want a God that'll make me popular and, 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 you know, take the people away at the same time. That'd be really great. Is that the God you want? Or are you going to say, Lord, that I might receive my sight and I might understand the things that you want and that you will have faith to be saved? What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? He's called you up. You're standing before him now. Will you believe, receive, and follow? Or you drift back into the crowd and say, no, nah. oh, he'll be back some other time. Jesus never came back to Jerusalem. Sorry, to Jericho. Never came back. This was the last time. There would only be one more person he would speak to on this way. And we'll deal with him next time. 
What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? It's a question. And Jesus is asking every single person here today, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Do you want to be saved? Now, Christians now are, are, are going, Of course you do! How could you not? But I'll, 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 I'll guarantee if there are some unsaved people here, they're now going, uh, do I really want? Do I really want to enter into being a Christian? Do I really want to be saved? Do I really want to make that commitment? Do I really want to lose my blindness? Or do I want to say, stay in the nice, safe, quiet, dark forever? There are some people who will say, no, I'd rather be blind. But I pray there are those who will say, Lord, that I might receive my sight and I might see the Lord Jesus Christ. For that was the very first thing that Bartimaeus saw. The very first thing he saw was Jesus standing in front of him. What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? We coming into Christmas time, and there's the manger story, and there's the the stories about the wise men and the shepherds and the angels. Lovely stuff. Beautiful stories. But really, it comes down to this. Today, as Jesus says to you, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What will your answer be? Which will you do? Will you come back and stay in the dark forever? Or will you say, Lord, that I might receive my sight? And you will then believe, receive and follow. Today, if you're not saved, that's the choice you have. Where will you spend the next part of your life? In the light or in the dark? Will you stay hiding in the darkness? Or will you say, Lord, that I might receive my sight and experience the wonderful gift of salvation. If that's your situation today, if you've decided that you want to live no longer in the dark, then after the service, you come and talk to me. You come and talk to Pastor Frank. You just come up to us and say, I need to have a word with you. And we will take you aside and we will say, 
Here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is the light that he will shed in your life that will lead you to heaven. Thank you.